the world needs to hear this. Showing how these reptilian bloodlines in this Chittahuli, this reptilian group, expanded their power across the world. This is what this nonsense is all about. There are lies. There are big lies. They are... There are enormous lies. There are gigantic whoppers. You're dealing with people you cannot rationally have a conversation with. Land, the podcast where I, Thomas Robertson, he, him, take you on a journey through the world of British conspiracy theorist David Icke, a self-confessed tireless campaigner for truth. Today we'll be talking about chapter three of The Trap, entitled A Kind of Magic. We've suffered through Ike's early years, and now we've finally arrived at the moment he goes full Ike, when Ike wriggles free of his chrysalis and emerges a fully-fledged conspiracy weirdo butterfly. We're in interesting territory, because the period of his life Ike writes about in this chapter, he's previously covered in a book he wrote contemporaneously, well, that's a hard word to say, entitled The Truth Vibrations. I'm excited, because it meant I could compare Ike's two accounts, and, uh, oof, oofty doofty, there are some whopping and telling omissions by Ike in 2022. I'm going to be comparing the two books a lot this episode, so strap yourselves in for that. Um... Well, we start in 1989, a good year to be a baby, even if I do say so myself. Ike writes in both Truth Vibrations and The Trap of his increasing awareness of a presence around him. In The Trap, Ike writes, When I was in a room alone, it was like I was not alone. I kept this to myself as I continued to work for the BBC and the Green Party. Months passed and the presence became ever more tangible and obvious to me. I had never experienced anything like this before. And now it was becoming a part of my life and increasingly undeniable. In March 1990, while working for the BBC in London, I went back to my room at the Kensington Hilton Hotel in Holland Park, a less than 20 minute walk from the BBC television centre. As I sat on the bed, the presence was so strong I sat out into the room. If there's something here, would you please contact me because you are driving me up the wall? Ike's 1991 account of imploring the presence to reveal itself in his hotel room isn't too different, and to be fair, the differences can be explained away by Ike taking some artistic license, either now or in 91. So I won't take pains to go over the differences. Suffice to say, in 91, Ike related a meeting with some Green supporters prior to this event who insisted a spirit message had told them to give Ike a book by a medium. I can only speculate why Ike omits that detail in 2022. Regardless... Ike continues his story and relates the events which would lead him to a fortuitous meeting with psychic Betty Shine. Ike's meeting with Shine would have a profound impact on him. If his accounts are to be believed, Ike may not be who he is today had he not met her. It all began in a railway station news agency, where, if we're to believe Ike's version of events, Ike was inexplicably drawn to Shine's book. Ike writes in the trap, As I was about to turn and leave, I felt the atmosphere change around me which I now know was an electromagnetic field. It was the same feeling I had with the presence, although way more powerful. My feet felt like two magnets were pulling them to the floor, and then I heard words pass through my mind. Go and look at the books on the far side. It was not so much a voice as a very strong thought form that was absolutely not consciously generated by me. Obviously bewildered, and with Gaz still with his nose in his book, I walked around to the other side of the shop, 
where I knew they kept a few paperback books dominated by romance novels for tourists to read while sitting on the beach. My bewilderment included both what was happening and the fact that I could not understand how the type of book they sold there would be of any relevance to me. In Among the Romantic Novels by writer Barbara Cartland and a publisher called Mills and Boone, I saw a book with a woman's face in the front called Mind to Mind. I picked it up because it was so different to the others, and turned it over to read the blurb. That's when I saw the word psychic. The book was a sort of autobiography written by professional British psychic Betty Shine. Ike makes a big fuss in Truth Vibrations and The Trap about finding Shine's book in that railway news agency. Despite Ike's insistence that he was guided by the hand of God, or the universe, or the force, I think the reality is mundane. Mind to Mind was published in 1989 and was a bestseller, even listed in the Sunday Times Top 10 list. We've all browsed the news agents and bookshops of railway stations and airports. What do they stock? They stock bestsellers. These aren't specialist bookstores selling rarities, they sell books and magazines with a huge turnover that will appeal to the broadest section of the public possible. The odds that Ike would encounter Shine's book in the early 1990s, at the height of its popularity, are actually pretty good. Ike may believe it was a cosmic or otherworldly power guiding him to Shine, but, you know, I sure don't. Regardless of what I think, Ike was sold on Shine's book. He writes in the trap, I wondered immediately if she would pick up the presents around me. I read the book in 24 hours and contacted her to arrange a visit. I told her nothing about what had been happening to me with the presents for the past year. Instead, I said that I had arthritis, and maybe the Reiki energy healing she did through her hands might be helpful. That would have been a bonus. My real interest was, would she sense anything around me? Before we go on to Ike's meeting with Shine, I'd like to talk a bit about Shine, as she's quite a character herself. Shine came to spiritualism professionally relatively late in life, at 45 years of age. However, by her own admission, her association with psychics, the occult, and alternative medicine was lifelong. Before she was a psychic healer, Betty worked as a freelance singer for 20 years. According to Ike and Truth Vibrations, Shine was suffering with a chronic health problem, and conventional treatments offered no solutions. Shine described these health problems in her book, Mind to Mind, as attacks. These attacks began after Shine witnessed the apparition of her deceased mother. In Mind to Mind, Shine writes, One afternoon Janet, Shine's daughter, and I were lying on twin beds taking a siesta, when something made me open my eyes. Standing at the foot of my bed, as real as she had been there in life, was my mother. I called out to her and she smiled. Janet, I exclaimed, Nanny is here. Janet could see no one. She said, don't be silly, Nanny's dead. My mother then left the room. I got up and followed her into the passage. It was empty. I ran from one room to another looking for her, but she had disappeared. I felt overwhelmed by loss. My mother's appearance had been so solidly alive. I thought she had really returned from the dead. But why had she come back? What had she wanted to say? I felt sure she had been trying to tell me something, but couldn't fathom what. About a month after my mother's visit, I suddenly started to have choking attacks. For up to an hour, I would find myself unable to breathe, when my heart palpated wildly. It sounds to me like Shine was experiencing uh, what was most likely anxiety or panic attacks, but she consulted doctors and they never diagnosed her as such. At the time, Shine was living in Spain and reports struggling to explain her symptoms to doctors, whom, as a result, couldn't offer treatment. She writes in Mind to Mind, I had only just begun to learn Spanish, and after some fruitless efforts I gave up trying to communicate my problems to the local doctors. 
I tried to ignore it, but the attacks continued. Since many doctors put strange symptoms down to a woman's age, I assumed that the cause must be my age, which was 42. I could find no other explanation. With the local doctors just assuming early menopause was the cause of Shine's attacks, which, you know, pretty shitty on their part, Shine began trying unconventional treatments and turned to a psychic for help when she returned to living in the UK. The psychic Shine consulted, medium Charles Horry, informed her that the attacks she was experiencing could not be treated by conventional means as they had no conventional cause. According to Horry, the attacks were the result of a build-up of psychic energy within Betty. Betty was born to be a healer, and not using her psychic powers had caused a build-up of psychic energy, which was impacting her health. Of this revelation, Shine writes in Mind to Mind, One reason I found it so hard to accept that I was a healer was that I thought healers had to be holy, and I wasn't. From my days in the theatre I had acquired a rich vocabulary, and my sense of humour was pretty earthly. I was clearly quite unsuitable, and this really worried me. I was more ready to accept that I was psychic. Don't worry, Shine doesn't resist her destiny for long. Again from mind to mind, she writes, I went into my bedroom and sat quietly. I closed my eyes and said in my head, Look, if I've got a terrible vocabulary, and I'm not at all holy, and if you don't think I'm the right person, I think you should leave me alone and go off and find someone else. I immediately felt a great surge of power in the room, and a sense of spirit people being all around. Even the furniture seemed to move. I thought, this is ridiculous. They obviously don't care what I'm like. That was the first of what was to be a positive onslaught of psychic phenomena, which was to continue for three months. It was as if, by accepting that I was a medium, I had released a mental block which allowed a tremendous, almost explosive, opening up of my psyche. I'd seen and heard spirit people all my life, but this was different. From then on, the whole place seemed to go mad. I saw spirit faces everywhere, faces of all kinds and nationalities, on walls, on the carpet, around the television set, coming and going, appearing and disappearing. I could hear people whispering and talking around me nearly all the time. Often this was accompanied by a kind of pulsating energy, which used to make me almost rattle. I didn't understand it at the time, but I know now that this was due to the power of the energy that had been built up in me. A couple of days later, I was chatting with a friend of ours who had been crippled with backache for over a year. I told him about my visit to Charles Horry. He, too, thought that the idea of my becoming a healer was highly comic. I said jokingly, let me try on you, and laid my hands on his back. Neither of us believed anything would happen. I asked if he could feel anything, and he said, no, but it feels good. Then, oh, I can feel some heat. Can you? Can you really? I grew quite excited, though I couldn't feel nothing in my hands. Well, if you think it's worth it, I'll carry on. Then he said, good lord, it's getting hotter and hotter. Your hands are burning. When it felt like time to stop, I asked if he felt better, and he said, no. Well, what a, that was a waste of time, I remarked. Obviously, I had no talent as a healer. When we next met two days later, he said, do you know, the pain in my back disappeared the next day, and I haven't had it since. I was more thrilled for him than for myself. Perhaps, after all, I could help others in this way. While researching Shine, 
I came across a story about her activities around the time she would have met Ike. The story was written by Linda Joffe and published in The Independent on the 14th of January 1993 and is entitled, She's So Down to Earth, It's Spooky. Those who encounter Betty Shine's supernatural powers find it hard to remain sceptical. How can a medium talk such sense? Linda Joffe reports. In the article, Shine's psychic communication and healing with Alex, 9, are described. Alex's parents, Felicity and Jeremy, are described in the story as a successful, well-educated London couple, in what I think is an attempt to bolster their reliability as witnesses of Shine's powers. Anyway, unfortunately young Alex developed encephalitis, leaving him in a coma-like state, and he was given only three months to live by doctors. I'll quote the rest of the story from the article. With guarded intrigue, and still much scepticism, they embarked with Mrs. Shine on a year of spiritual healing for their son. Mrs. Shine says that, although mind-reading as such is not a part of a medium's repertoire, she was able to communicate with Alex telepathically because her special abilities do include receiving messages from another dimension. Or, put simply, she can talk with the dead. She also, at times, sees them, chokes with them, and follows their instructions when they are helping her with healing. In Alex's comatose state, she explains, his mind energy was about 95% out of the body and would be linking up with minds in the other dimension. According to Mrs. Shine, minds from another dimension, which, she says, are what survive after we die, are available to help us when we require them most. As for the spiritual healing, she claims to have the ability to diagnose the source of a problem, sometimes in conflict with medical opinion, by merely looking at a person, as well as the facility to effect, in many instances, a great deal of healing, if severe deterioration has not yet set in. A contributing factor to Alex's difficulties has been the large amounts of mucus in his lungs that were responding poorly to treatment. For months, Felicity and Jeremy had listened to their son's rasping breathing and regularly used a portable pump to help clear his passages, with only limited success. Mrs. Shine says she performed a psychic operation, during which she stepped back and watched two pairs of spirit hands take over and put tubes down Alex's throat to pump out the mucus. Felicity and Jeremy were standing by. After a few minutes they heard Alex's breathing become more restful. That was in April 1990, and his lungs have remained free of mucus to this day. More to the point, Alex, although paralysed, is now not only no longer comatose, but inexplicably physically fit and healthy, despite all medical reckoning. Now, do I think Betty Shine communicated with and healed the comatose Alex? No, probably not. But, I empathise with Alex's parents. In an impossible and heartbreaking position, I can understand their willingness to try anything to help their son. Perhaps these sessions with Betty gave Alex's parents some comfort and a sense of having more control over the situation. As for Betty... It's impossible to say whether she genuinely believed she was in contact with Alex, and healed him, or whether this was a grift. Only Betty knew that for sure. Alex's story is apparently included in Shine's book, Mind Waves, but I haven't had a chance to read it yet. I'll be honest, I can only read so many kooky books at a time. Sorry, not sorry. But uh, we'll be revisiting Betty at a later date for sure. I wanted to include that story, just so we can keep in the back of our minds while, while we look at Ike's recollection of his meeting with Betty, that she was claiming to be in psychic contact with a comatose child and performing psychic surgeries. 
I think it adds some important colour to the whole thing for sure. Without further ado, let's talk about when David met Betty. Quoting from the trap, Ike writes, I went to see Betty a couple of times at her home in the village of Ditchling near Brighton on the English south coast. She performed her healing while we had an interesting chat about the levels of reality that we cannot see. I had always been fascinated by this, even more so after my strange experience with the slow motion save in the Hereford game at Barnett and what I learned about the energetic bases of acupuncture thanks to Professor Worsley. Then, on my third of four visits, my life changed forever. I was on a medical-type bench in her front room while she worked on my left knee when I felt like a spider's web on my face. My mind immediately went to her book where she said that when other levels of reality are trying to lock into you, it sometimes feels like a spider's web is on your face. It did. What I didn't know at the time is that I was feeling an electromagnetic field through which other realities communicate with this one. It's the same phenomena as the hairs on your neck or arm standing up in place that feel spooky. The spook, or ghost entity, affects the electromagnetic field. And when you are among an excited crowd generating electromagnetism with their emotions, no more than 15 seconds after I felt the spider's web, and without me saying a word, Betty threw her head back and said, Whoa! This is powerful. I'll have to close my eyes for this one. She said she was seeing an ancient Chinese-type figure in her mind, who gave a name and said, Socrates is with me. I had no idea who Socrates was, except that someone of that name once played football for Brazil. The Socrates was an ancient Greek philosopher who was condemned to death for corrupting the youth by telling them the truth that the authorities didn't want them to know. Psychics would later tell me that in previous lives, I had been Socrates, an Italian philosopher, Giordano Bruno. Socrates died basically laughing at authority by drinking hemlock in 399 BC, and Bruno did the same as he was burned at a stake for heresy, telling the truth, by the Roman Catholic Church in 1600. I am not saying that I was these people, only that this is what I was told, and nothing more. Betty Shine said that the Chinese-type communicator was asking her to pass information to me, and as I sat there, still a BBC presenter and Green Party spokesman, she communicated the following. We know he wanted us to contact him, but the time was not right. Betty knew nothing of my words in the hotel room. He was led here to be contacted, not to be cured, but one day he will be completely cured. He is a healer who is here to heal the earth and he will be world famous. He will face enormous opposition, but we will always be there to protect him. He is still a child spiritually, but he will be given the spiritual riches. Sometimes he will say things and wonder where they came from. They will be our words. Knowledge will be put into his mind, and at other times he will be led to knowledge. He was chosen as a youngster for his courage. He has been tested and has passed all the tests. He was led into football to learn discipline, but when that was learned it was time to move on. He also had to learn how to cope with disappointment, experience all the emotions, and how to get up and get on with it. The spiritual way is tough, and no one makes it easy. He will always have what he needs, but no more. He is the one. Oofty doofty, that's a lot to take on board. So how did Ike react, again, from the trap? 
I was stunned, of course. In one way, and the normal reaction would have been to dismiss what I was told as ridiculous. I'm a healer, and I was here to heal the earth. I present the Sanuko. I was going to be world famous. For what? But in fact, I didn't dismiss it. There was something vaguely familiar about the whole thing. I got on the train in a daze at the nearby Hassock station and headed to London to present a program at the BBC. I watched the world go by from the carriage window as I tried to make sense of what had just happened. This line in particular made so much sense of my earlier life. He was led into football to learn discipline. But when that was learned, it was time to move on. He also had to learn how to cope with disappointment, experience all the emotions, and how to get up and get on with it. He's beginning to believe. Ike went from, I don't think so, to, yes, this affirms my sense of self-importance. I will save the world. In record time. So, to recap, Socrates and a, quote, Chinese type, communicating through Betty Shine, tell Ike that he's here to heal the world and that he was chosen as a child for his courage and his whole life up to this point has been in preparation for that mission. He'll be known all over the world, but he won't benefit materially from his mission, only spiritually. But wait, there's more. Ike writes, A week later I returned to Betty and these messages came through. One man cannot change the world, but one man can communicate the message that will change the world. Don't try to do it all alone. Go hand in hand with others, so you can pick each other up as you fall. He will write five books in three years. The written word will be there forever. The spoken word disappears on the wind. Politics is not for him. He is too spiritual. Politics is anti-spiritual, and, and will make him very unhappy. He will leave politics. He doesn't have to do anything. It will happen gradually over a year. There will be a different kind of flying machine, very different from the aircraft of today. There was also a line about the coming of electric cars, Ike writes. Time will have no meaning. Where you want to be, you will be. So all that being said, none of that is too crazy. Uh, besides the predictions of a new type of flying machine and time having no meaning, all of that is really pretty innocuous. If you were among the new fans of Ike, drawn to him by his output through the COVID-19 pandemic and unfamiliar with his earlier work, and for whom these early channel uh, chapters have been written, you might just think, oh wow, how interesting, and read right on. But, if you were some sort of lunatic who keeps a spreadsheet of Ike's bullshit, like a certain podcaster who will decline to incriminate himself, you'd notice an awful lot of discrepancies and omissions between Ike's account of Shine's predictions in 2022 and his account of Shine's predictions in 1991. Between 91 and the present, Ike forgot the name of Socrates' companion who spoke to him through Shine. Ike wrote in Truth Vibrations. She described the vision before her as someone of immense power. He was Chinese in appearance, and the description of his dress was subsequently confirmed as that of a Mandarin. He said his last life on Earth was around AD 1200, the right time for such a costume. He gave his name as Wang Yi Li, and added, Socrates is with me. While Wang Yi Li once got top billing, nowadays Ike has demoted him to a nameless, quote, Chinese-type communicator. I suspect it's because Wang Yi Li doesn't have the punchy name recognition that Socrates does. Plus, Ike clearly loves comparing himself to Socrates. According to Google, Wang Yi Li doesn't have any name recognition, punchy or otherwise, because try as I might, I couldn't find anything about anyone named Wang Yi Li. 
It could just be that Shine invented Wang Yi Li. I mean, she did invent him, but uh, it could be that she invented him without a historical precedent. The comment about electric vehicles is hilarious in the present after everything Ike has said to disparage them. Ike's commentary in The Trap, there was also a line about electric cars, reads very sheepishly. The line about the coming of electric cars was included in 1991's Truth Vibrations and was also very specific. According to The Truth Vibrations, Shine predicted, He should not worry about cars. Electric cars will be used in eight years' time. Unfortunately, even 25 years later, electric cars are far from dominating the roads. Safe to call this one a miss for Betty. When Shine told Ike this, Ike was still dedicated to striving towards a greener future, and the urgent need to reduce the use of fossil fuels was one of his main points in his 1989 book about green policy making. It doesn't have to be this way. As I discussed in the series on Ike's interview with Baptiste de Pape, these days Ike considers electric cars to be tools of cult control to limit people's ability to travel, and imagines they'll be programmed by the cult with restrictions about where and when they can operate. Between 1991 and 2003, Ike dropped some of Shine's messages and predictions altogether. One of the messages Shine gave Ike, which didn't make it from Truth Vibrations, was an urging to Ike to spend more time with his family. When he is at home, he must do family things and keep the family unit together. I can only guess Ike dropped this because of his divorce from his wife Linda in the year 2000. It's strange to me that Ike would worry about removing this, but I don't know how Ike feels about his divorce. He writes of his now ex-wife Linda in the trap and calls her still a very good friend. Divorce happens. Ike appears to be very close with his children still, for better or worse. Probably worse. Both of his sons are involved with his work. He writes of his daughter and grandchildren in the trap, writing that they are living close by to him and he sounds like he's involved in their lives. Despite the divorce from his wife, it looks from where I'm sitting like he's kept his family together. Maybe Ike felt this open too big a can of worms that he just didn't want to open. Maybe Ike feels guilty he didn't heed Shine's message. Only Ike knows for sure. I can't imagine being married to David Ike as being easy. What I can say for sure though is all the batshit predictions which never eventuated have evaporated from Ike's memory. In 1991's Truth Vibrations, Ike recounts Shine issuing some dire warnings. There will be earthquakes. These will come as a warning to the human race. They will occur in places that have never experienced them. Taking oil from the seabed is destabilizing the inner earth. The center of the earth will move and the poles will change. The sea spirits will rise and stop men taking oil. The sea will reclaim the land, and humans will see that they cannot do these terrible things. They cannot abuse the elements. They have to be treated with respect. In the country in which she, that is me, lives, there will be a cultural revolution in five years' time. Unfortunately for Shane and Ike, but unfortunately for the rest of us, none of that came to pass. Uh, the sea spirits are yet to enact their vengeance on us for our gluttonous consumption of oil. And the Spice Girls' cries of girl power were the closest the UK came to a revolution in the mid-90s. I want to focus on Ike's emissions of the earthquake predictions for a few minutes, because it's part of a larger emission from Ike's past. End of the World by Earthquake was a core part of Ike's brand before lizard people stole the spotlight. Ironically, by omitting the earthquakes, Ike the conspiracy theorist is engaged in a cover-up. 
Predictions of impending cataclysmic earthquakes, or Earth changes, to punish humanity for our ecological sins have been a mainstay of the New Age discourse for a long time. Ike in 1991 was certain that earthquakes would reshape the world by the end of the decade, literally and figuratively. Ike believed the earthquakes would be triggered by our mistreatment of the environment, and cited the extraction of oil from the seabed as a danger in particular. Ike even gave his speech cautioning as much in his capacity as a spokesperson for the Green Party. Ike's warnings about earthquakes were a point of derision from Terry Wogan during Ike's infamous appearance on The Wogan Show. Ike appeared on the show to promote Truth Vibrations, in which he claimed world-changing earthquakes were a certainty before the millennium. Here's a clip from that interview. I say, well, now what about eruptions? When may we expect tidal waves, eruptions, earthquakes? Well, because of the nature of the way the Earth has been treated over a long period of time, a tremendous amount of energy has built up within the Earth that cannot get out. If it doesn't get out, bang. So this is going to be released in a controlled manner, as controlled as possible through earthquakes, through volcanoes and such like. If they don't happen, this is not punishment, if they don't happen, there is no Earth. Because of the way the Earth's been treated, the Earth is also extremely, extremely weak. And it's in the situation now where it cannot function by itself as an independent, independent entity. It is in, in effect on a life support machine already. Now the question is, it's a bit like a patient where they say the patient needs this operation to survive, but is the patient strong enough to take the operation? And that is the point that the Earth is at now. When these things happen... As they will. It, as they will, my goodness, they will. When is the, when is the it, first thing going to happen? Well, it will certainly happen this year. The first sequence will begin this year. Uh, the question is, that they are making before it starts is, is the Earth yet strong enough to survive well, let me these ask you, changes? Why should we believe you if, if we have trained, highly intelligent, erudite scientists who tell us that none of these things are going to happen? Why should we believe you? Well, first of all, two things to that. First of all, uh, the same kind of erudite scientists, uh, but highly intelligent, once said the Earth was flat. Uh, and, and the people that said the earth was round were laughed at. And the same thing's happening now, you know. The second thing is, I am asking no one in this theater, no one watching this program, no one on this planet to believe a word of it. But why the are you saying it then? Because the fundamental law of creation is that of free will. To be given opportunities to make decisions and choices based you, on information. If you could give us some kind of proof, anybody can get up and say these things are going to happen because they've been divinely inspired. And lots mm -hmm. of people have done it in the past. Mm -hmm. You know, in the year 1000, we had all these people coming up saying that the world is going to end. And lots of people ran at the top of the mountains yeah. as they have been doing hundreds of years. I'm not saying the world's going to end. I'm saying it could. But they're saying all sorts, yes, well, these people probably said the mm. same thing. Nothing happened. And they said, ah, it's because of the power of my prayers that saved. Is this what you're going to no, do? No, I mean, some of these things are not, um, they, they are the consequence of 12,000 years of human free will choice and behavior. Therefore, many of them are unstoppable. And I'm not going to uh, stand up and say, well, they're not happening because of what I've done. Uh, some of them are going to happen. And uh, I'm not asking anyone to believe it. But you see, if, if the traditional but church... But there's no point in his saying But of course not. You see, why should I impose... Did you just agree with me? Why, why should I impose my will? Why should I try to impose what I'm saying on anyone? 
They have the right to listen to what I'm saying, but if you to listen to what the traditional church is saying. If you don't give them any kind of proof, if you don't give them any reason to believe in you, they will dismiss you as a crank, which is what they're doing. Well, that's their free will choice. But, Terry, uh, but if, I am saying, if I am saying that these things are going to happen this year, then we'll see, won't we? And what will happen if they don't happen? What will happen to you? They will happen because if they don't happen, there will be no earth. And it is, it's as simple as that. And I frankly don't care what anyone thinks. They have free will to make their own choices on what is said. I say wait and see. Ladies and gentlemen, David Icke. Thank you. Wait and see, says Ike. As an aside, this interview was recorded during the first Gulf War. And just prior to being asked about earthquakes, Ike was assuring Wogan that Saddam Hussein was already dead and footage of him celebrating his recent birthday was saged. Saddam Hussein would in fact be executed 15 years later in 2006, so... Hmm, Ike was close. <laughs> Let's talk about why Ike was so sure that these earthquakes were guaranteed. Shine's book wasn't the only one Ike claimed he was led to by mysterious forces. Ike writes in Truth Vibrations, The next day I was getting ready to catch the ferry to the mainland from my home on the Isle of Wight. There wasn't much time to spare, but I suggested I take my wife Linda for a quick lunch at a health food shop and a cafe five minutes away. We had to rush, but I was keen to go. While she was organising the food, I felt compared to, but compelled to walk over to the shop's display of books. The feeling was the same as in the newsagents. I saw nothing to interest me, and I was about to sit down again when something in my mind urged me to look on the other side of the display, which was one of those units that spun around. There my eyes caught the word. Earthquake. It was an American book called We Are the Earthquake Generation, a rare book in the UK, it would appear, at least at the time. None of the many people I have since told about it have been able to find a copy. I was obviously interested in anything about earthquakes, but only when I saw the mention of psychics did I begin to realise its significance. We Are the Earthquake Generation is a hoot. Now, it was easy enough for me to say I could have chanced upon Mind to Mind by Betty Shine just going about his daily life, what with it being a bestseller and all. But I can't dismiss this one so easily. Maybe Ike is just lucky or unlucky. Who can tell at this point, honestly? Anyway, some way, somehow, Ike found a copy. I'm a little happy he did, though, because I'd never heard of the author, and now I'm fascinated. In Truth Vibrations, Ike describes author Jeffrey Goodman as a Open-minded American scientist. I'll let you assess the veracity of Ike's assessment. Goodman's book is well summed up by Goodman when he writes, This book presents the views of a group of psychics or clairvoyants who have made predictions about the future of our planet and what that might mean for humanity. It also presents scientific evidence in support of these views. The material deals primarily with geological processes that may lead to vast changes in the geography of the globe, culminating in a cataclysmic pole shift a major displacement of either the rotational axis or the Earth's crust, about 2000 AD. Despite holding a degree in geological engineering and a master's and PhD in anthropology, Goodman has dedicated himself to the pursuit of the pseudoscientific, writing several books across a number of subjects. Goodman's areas of interest include the use of psychics in conventional scientific endeavours, such as in the prediction of earthquakes, obviously, and locating and conducting archaeological excavations. Goodman is a proponent of something called psychic archaeology. He also has a unique theory regarding the evolution of modern humans. 
He rejects the out-of-Africa hypothesis, and has hypothesized that modern humans actually evolved in California, with divine intervention explaining the change from hominid to modern human. Goodman also claims that these early Californians possessed advanced knowledge of physics and technology. Goodman has also hypothesized that events of the Bible, such as the Great Flood, were the result of comets sent by God. Goodman's academic credentials lend a veneer of legitimacy to the pseudoscientific theories he espouses. Ike loves guys like Goodman, people with legitimate credentials who dabble in the fringe or have become full-blown cranks since being awarded their doctorates. So, I agree with Ike that Goodman is an open-minded American. Uh, scientist, though? Uh, maybe just long enough to earn his PhD. Anyway, who cares what I think? What matters is what Ike thinks, and Ike was very enthusiastic about Goodman's Earthquake book when The Truth Vibrations was published. Ike dedicates pages of Truth Vibrations to extolling the credentials of Edgar Cayce and Nostradamus, two of the famous psychics whose predictions Goodman relied on. Ike writes in The Truth Vibrations, Both of these men, Cayce and Nostradamus, predicted massive geological activity in the run-up to the year 2000. Other proven psychic prophets came to the same conclusion in Goodman's book, and they showed a highly developed knowledge of geological principles in their psychic state, knowledge which they did not possess otherwise. They predicted that in some areas land would be lost, while in others it would rise from the sea. This would bring confirmation of the existence of the so-called mythical worlds of Atlantis and Mew, or Lemuria as it is also known. I was already certain in my mind that these places had existed, and this was later to be confirmed. The psychic said that all these events would lead up to the year 2000, when the Earth would slip off its present axis. That sounds like a man full of certainty to me, but I guess Ike's confidence was shaken. Pardon the pun. Ike's fear of earthquakes is obviously past, and it seems all the earthquake stuff is something he would rather forget. It could be that it's a sore spot for Ike. That Wogan interview is hard enough to watch, let alone having lived through it and fall out. I'd want to bury public humiliation on the scale Ike endured and everything associated with it too. However, I suspect it's far more likely, since Ike wears that humiliation as a badge of honour these days and tries to reframe it as persecution for being right about everything, that Ike knows all that doomsaying came to nothing, and the trap is supposed to be about how Ike has been vindicated by the COVID-19 pandemic lockdowns around the world as right about everything. This is his victory lap. Admitting he was wrong is going to cramp his style. Better to leave the whole thing out. Likewise, Betty Shine's predictions which failed to eventuate. Ike has made his meeting with Shine foundational to the narrative of his spiritual awakening. If Shine is wrong about earthquakes, cultural revolutions in the UK, flying machines, electric cars, well, it isn't much of a stretch for Ike's readers to start pondering the accuracy of her forecasts about Ike's special destiny, is it? By the time of their meeting, Ike's environmental concerns were already widely known to the public. Is it so unreasonable to wonder if Betty Shine consciously or unconsciously had Ike's environmentalism in mind when she supposedly uh, channeled Socrates and Wang Yi Lee? What was the fallout of these sessions with Shine? Since Ike doesn't record any further contact with her, as far as Ike is concerned, she seems to have served her purpose. After crowning him a New Age prophet, Ike was happy enough to go about pursuing his special destiny without any further oracular guidance from Shine, 
Socrates or Wang Yi Li. Despite this, Shine remains foundational to Ike's origin story, and he invokes Shine as a bona fide psychic to justify himself. I've spoken previously about Ike's research methods and how Ike evaluates evidence. Ike believes that intuiting something to be true is fundamental, and ultimately, far more important than evidence. I'll read a passage here from The Trap where Ike cites Shine as an authority to justify this approach. The communications through Betty Shine were as good as their word, as my life became an extraordinary series of coincidences and happenings. I was indeed led to knowledge, and knowledge was put into my mind. This happened through the synchronistic coincidence of people I met, and through books, documents, and personal experiences, first at home and later abroad. I never read a book from start to finish until I was in my twenties, and not many after that. Now I read ferociously, one book finished and was on to the next for year after year. I didn't bother with education at school, and suddenly I was seeking knowledge from every source possible on my own terms in my own way. In the early years of the 1990s, I would be led to information and make conclusions from that about what was going on. Pretty soon that flipped, and I would conclude what was happening first, and then the names, dates, places, detail would follow supporting that conclusion. This is how I have worked ever since. Knowledge will be put into his mind, and at other times he will be led to knowledge. Then there was this line, Sometimes he will say things and wonder where they came from. They will be our words. My goodness, the times that has happened, as in constantly. Ike makes up whatever and finds the evidence to support it later, ignoring or discounting anything contradictory to feeling and intuition. Making yourself the arbiter of reality? That's a dangerous way to live. Unwilling to consider anything that disagrees with you? Well... That's enough Ike for now. Next time, we get to hear where Ike goes from here. If you'd like to contact me, including with corrections, which are encouraged, you can email me at ikelandpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, remember, reading a Mills and Boone at the train station would do you less harm than relying on psychic surgery to treat your illness. Bye.